Firstly, we begin our study in Luke chapter 8 on the necessity of believing the Word, believing whatever we hear from the Word of God. Luke 8, verses 4 to 15, the parable of the sower. And when a great multitude were coming together, and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. And other seed fell into the good ground and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples began questioning him as to what this parable might be. And he said, To you it is granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, in order that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God, and those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so that they may not believe and be saved. And those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. And the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. And the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, and hold it fast, and bear fruit with perseverance. The seed is the word of God in verse 11. The word of God is widely distributed. It is published abroad. Many people hear it. It falls on different kinds of soils, and the soils represent the different kinds of the human heart. The human heart is in different conditions whenever the word of God is preached. And he says in verse 12, we have those seed or seeds that have fallen on the road. On the road, whether it is a dirt road or a gravel road or a paved road, usually the condition of a road is unsuitable for a seed to immerse itself into the ground and to stay there long enough without any interruption, for example, a carriage or a beast of burden or pedestrians walking on the road, preventing whatever was sown on the road from growing. That's what usually happens. And in our day, vehicles, concrete or cement, uh, tar, Uh, kinds of roads, these roads are not going to allow seed to grow. So that is the image of the devil 
taking away what they heard. It came into them, because he says it's in their heart or from their heart. The devil takes it away, and these people, whenever they hear it, what happens immediately? Verse 12, not believe. In verse 12, not believe. They didn't believe for a little while. They did not believe at all. Though they heard it, they comprehended some things. They heard the name Jesus. They know we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth. They know we're talking about the Jesus of Nazareth of the Holy Scriptures. They know we're talking about the one who died and rose again. We know, they know we're talking about the need to have faith in him. So they comprehend those things. In a sense, it's in their inner man, in the heart. It says so in verse 12. But the devil takes it away, and they never actually believe everything that they comprehended. Verse 13, and those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. The rocky soil, it also receives the word. In a sense, it receives it, it embraces it. It says, For a while, though, verse 13, they receive it, they receive it with joy, they have temporary joy, they have temporary enthusiasm for what they heard. They say, that makes sense to me. Yes, I agree. Amen. They'll think that way. They'll say things like that. And they will have this joy, this enthusiasm, this zeal, this desire to know more. But it says in 13, they believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. These people also believe. Notice the word believe is used. So whenever we use the word believe or faith or have faith or belief, we have to explain what we're talking about because the Bible uses it in different senses in different ways with different meanings. In this case, in verse 13, it's not true. It's not eternal life. It's not a faithful, true belief because it says they believe for a while. So those who only believe for a while and then the temptations cause them to fall away, that's not true faith. One cannot at all possess true faith, and then lose true faith. It's a false faith if they fall away. It looks like true faith. He used the word joy in verse 13. According to Galatians 5, to 23, joy is one of the fruits, manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control. Against such things there is no law. So joy. But was it true joy? Was it real joy? Or was it fickle joy? Or fickle happiness? Fickle blessedness? It was fickle. It's fickle by definition because it's only for a while. So if it is temporary, only for a while, and the temptations of life, which bombard us every day, The temptations of life caused this one to fall away. It's not true. 
not true faith. Verse 14, another example of false faith. And the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. He is progressing in terms of how much they understand and how long they are claiming to have faith, claiming to believe, but he still describes them as bringing no fruit to maturity. If there is no mature fruit, if there is no ripe fruit, then what's the point of the fruit tree? Correct? So verse 14, the thorny soil, the thorny soil. That thorny soil is more receptive than rocky soil. Everybody knows that. And the rocky soil is more receptive than the roady soil. Everybody knows that. But still, the thorny soil is deficient. It is incapable of permitting the seed sown to grow sufficiently to bear fruit to maturity. It doesn't permit it. And what are these thorns? They are choked with worries, anxieties, stresses, tensions, however we want to say it. Riches, pursuit of wealth, pleasures of this life, the love of pleasure, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. 2 Timothy 3. And bring no fruit to maturity. Notice that phrase. We know he is progressing in terms of how much they know and how long they are in this state of false faith. We know that from the analogies he's used in 12 is road, 13 is rock, 14 is thorns. But notice this phrase, bring no fruit to maturity. That means that the tree, that the fruit tree, it started on the branches and on the twigs. It started. You can see the fruit is coming out. It's about to come out. It just needs some more time. But he says, no fruit to maturity. You cannot... The moment it breaks open and the moment you start seeing it, you start seeing maybe a, uh, an eighth of it or a fourth of the fruit coming out. If it doesn't come to fruition, if it doesn't become ripe, you cannot consume it. Correct? So he says no fruit to maturity. It's not true faith. It's a false faith. Because whatever it heard, it did not hear it in proper faith. The gift of God and worked in us by the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, and the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Let us not miss 
these descriptions of the good ground. The good ground. Does the good, is the good ground, good ground automatically? No. Divinely speaking in the spiritual realm, that's how it becomes good ground. Also, it says, in an honest heart. Honest heart. According to John 8, 44, we are of our father the devil before conversion. And the devil was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. So by nature, the flesh, the carnal man, is a lover of lies because he belongs to his father, the devil. We love lies. We use lies. We manipulate ourselves to get our way and manipulate others in order for us to accomplish our sinful goals. So we are not honest people. We are dishonest people. We are liars. But this soil is honest because of the grace of God. The grace of God was working and is working in this kind of soil so that it becomes honest. It hears the truth of God and it truly believes it, honestly believes it. It's also called good heart. Remember that by nature, we have evil hearts. By nature, the flesh is Perverse. It is crooked and perverse. Matthew 12, 34. Well, let's read 33. Matthew 12, 33 to 37. Matthew 12, 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree rotten and its fruit rotten. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man, out of his good treasure, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of his evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. And I say to you, that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned." Verse 33 has a curious phrase. It says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree rotten and its fruit rotten. Who is going to make it good? But God. We can't do it because by nature we are a brood of vipers, verse 34. Yes, we are because we are in the same category as the Pharisees who confronted Jesus in the previous passage. And therefore, by nature, if we are evil, someone needs to make the heart good. Good meaning tender, compliant, humble, receptive to believe in the word of God presented. Then he says in 8.15, hold it fast. Hold it fast. It clings on to the word of God. It clings on to every part of the word of God. Not only the sweet parts of the word of God, 
but also the salty parts of the Word of God, the sour parts of the Word of God, the bitter parts of the Word of God. We have to hold on fast to all of it. And wherever our flesh says, well, that's sour, that's bitter, that's salty or too salty for me. Whenever the flesh rises up and complains like that, we have to conquer it by faith in the word. We must believe that our flesh is in the wrong and God's word is in the right and hold on fast to it. Cling on to it. Never let it go. Indeed, it is your life. Deuteronomy 32, 47 and 48. It is your life. Philippians 2, 16. Holding fast or holding forth the word of life. That's why we have to cling on to it, whether we like it or not. We cannot be like those who disdained and maligned the holy prophets, God's servants, the prophets, who said, speak to us pleasant words, prophesy illusions, get out of the way, tell us no more about the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 39 to 11. We must hold it fast, whatever it says. And bear fruit with perseverance. Perseverance, endurance, steadfastness. Nothing that's temporary, nothing that's fickle. No falling away, no rejection of what is in it. And then we will bear fruit permanently. Ripe fruit, true fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It has to be demonstrable. It has to be manifested. We have to actually see it. And when people say, well, I do have it, but they behave in ways such as verses 12, 13, and 14, roady, rocky, and thorny soil. When they behave that way, then they don't have true fruit with perseverance. No matter how loudly they say it, no matter how often they say it, no matter how eloquently they say it, no matter how much knowledge of the Bible they have. Usually it's distorted knowledge. It seems on the surface to be true knowledge of the Bible, but if we have discernment, which will be one of the subjects we study, if we have discernment, we'll discern, it's not true knowledge, true faith in the Bible. It's a false knowledge and therefore false faith and false fruit, not true fruit whatsoever. Let's proceed. Let's move on to Romans chapter 1. Romans 1 on faith or belief. Romans 1. Notice how It always should be coupled, that is, our faith in hearing the Word of God. When we hear the Word of God, we must believe it. Romans 1, 16 to 17. Romans 1, 16. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. The gospel, the word of the gospel, by gospel he doesn't mean whatever we want it to mean. It's talking about the words of Scripture, the word of Christ that explains to us our nature, our condition before God, and the fact that we must repent of sins and believe that Jesus died and rose again for our sins. That gospel message is what? The power of God for salvation. That's why we have to explain it, preach it, publish it. We need to do that. The power of God for salvation. No gospel, no salvation. In fact, it's the power of God. The music, the lights, a handshake, friendliness, the proper setting, a thousand pounds of sugar, they are not the means for salvation. It's right here. It says, the gospel, it is the power of God for salvation. So when we present the unadulterated word of God, 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 7, when we present, when we preach the unadulterated word of God, that is where the power is to save people. So that is our obligation But what about the recipients? What about the hearers? What about the audience? What is their obligation? It says, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Who believes. It doesn't matter how purely, how forthrightly we preach it, but if the recipients, if the hearers do not believe, it will not produce fruit with perseverance. They do not have an honest and good heart. They do not hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance because they don't believe it. They might pretend, but they do not. It is the only place for righteousness. And from faith to faith, we grow from a little bit of faith to greater faith by the word of Christ, the gospel from some faith to more faith. That's what faith to faith means. We grow in that knowledge and faith. But what does it require? Believing what was preached. 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. 118 to 25. 118. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased 
through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What is the foolishness and weakness of God in this context? It is the word of the cross. 1 Corinthians 1.18. It is the word of the cross because it has the power to save from sin. But what does it also require? In the recipients, in the hearers. Verse 21. It says, to save those who believe. To save those who believe. It will not come to bear fruit with perseverance if they do not believe, truly believe. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, 2.13. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Why are the Thessalonians commended here? Because when they were listening to the apostle and his companions preach the gospel, they weren't saying, well, what does this fellow have to say? Who is this man? Come on. I don't know him. He's a newcomer to our city. He looks strange. He's a Jew. They didn't have that skeptical attitude. He commends them because it says, They thank God that when, we also thank God that when you received from us, received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. When the preacher, the pastor, the missionary the common Christian. Whenever he is equipped to explain, to preach, to teach, to show people what's in the Bible, and it is the Bible, the hearers, the recipients, must believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And when they believe that, it will perform its work in them. If they don't believe it, It won't work in them. And our last example of faith or belief is Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, 1 to 5. 
Hebrews 4, verse 1. In chapters 3 and 4, the apostles been explaining by example the wilderness generation led out of Egypt by Moses. And most of them were unbelievers. Yes, there were millions and most were unbelievers. Though they claimed to believe, they believed for a while. They temporarily received the word with joy. But they were unbelievers. And we are in the middle of this discourse in chapters 3 and 4. 4 verse 1, 1 to 5. Therefore, let us fear, lest, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us. It ought to rather be rendered, for we indeed have had the gospel preached to us, just as they also But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. It was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has thus said in a certain place concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. This rest, my rest of God, this rest of God has to do with eternal life. And he says, the apostle says, commenting on the wilderness generation that what they heard was not united by faith. No faith. No faith, no eternal life. Even though they temporarily had joy, temporarily were excited, temporarily joined Moses, temporarily now and then followed Moses But you know, we know, if we read the book of Numbers, especially Numbers 11 to 25, they are full of griping and grumbling. Full of griping and grumbling, as though they never knew of gripe water to help them overcome the attitude of being gripey people. Now, What if we hear it and we have a wrong reaction to it? A wrong reaction to it. For this, we take a few verses in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9. Verses 7 to 12. Proverbs 9, 7. He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself, and he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer, lest he hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, 
and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase him, increase his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you alone will bear it. Verse 7. Verse 7 is not meant to deter us. It's meant to alert us. It's not meant to deter us from correcting a scoffer, but it's meant to alert us to what's going to happen. Verse 7. When we correct a scoffer with the word of God, we'll get dishonor. If we reprove a wicked man, we'll get insults. Expect dishonor and expect insults. When we, whenever we correct a scoffer or a wicked man with the word of God, when we correct them with the word of Christ, this is the typical response. And verse 8, he continues with the typical response, but a contrast. Do not reprove a scoffer lest he hate you. Again, this does not mean that we never reprove a scoffer, never deal with someone who we know or we suspect to be scoffing at the word. He's just saying that this is going to be the natural result, that he will hate you. But what will happen to a wise man when we reprove a wise man? Remember, in Proverbs, in this passage, it's just like we read in Luke 8, 4 to 15, especially verse 15. We have to ask ourselves, like we did in Matthew 12, 33 to 37, how is it that one becomes good? How is it that one becomes righteous? How is it that one becomes wise? Well, that's because of the conversion of God, the conversion that takes place by the Spirit and granting faith and repentance to us. So, if a man is already in that condition of being a wise man, a converted man, truly converted, if you reprove him, because we all sin, we all stumble in many ways, James 3, 2. When that happens, if you reprove a wise man, what will he do? He will love you. He will say, thank you, brother. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. I was so blind. I needed to know. And you helped me. He will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Why? Because he's going to receive it and grow in wisdom. Teach a righteous man and he will increase his learning. That's growing from faith to faith. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Same thing here. Increase in learning. Increase in faith. This is the only way to fear the Lord. This is the only way to have true knowledge of the Holy One, verse 10. This is the way of life and eternal life, verse 11. Verse 12. Each of us individually will be held 
accountable. This is similar to the apostle in Galatians 6, 1 to 5, when he says, each will bear his own load. We will be responsible for our own sins. Verse 12, if you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you alone will bear it. So we cannot and should not be scoffers. Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. A stupid man is one who hates reproof. He's going to behave like we read in Proverbs chapter 9. He's going to hate it. And if he hates the truth presented to him, by definition, he is stupid. He's not well-meaning. He doesn't have a good heart. He does not have good intentions. He didn't merely simply just misunderstand you. Because if he merely simply misunderstood you, then we have to question his intellectual capabilities. And are we willing to go there? Are we going to call him an idiot, a dummy? Either he's a dummy or he is stupid in the sense that he knows what you're saying and he hates what you're saying, so he will despise it and scoff at it and then insult you and heap dishonor on you. Chapter chapter 13, verse 1. 13, 1. A wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. A scoffer does not listen to rebuke. He'll hear it. He'll comprehend it. He'll say, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yes, I understand. But there won't be any repentance. There won't be true faith in it to repent. Chapter 15, Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15. 15, 10. Proverbs 15, 10. Stern discipline is for him who forsakes the way. He who hates reproof will die. He who hates reproof will die. And this death is not talking about physical death. It's talking about eternal death. That's the stern discipline that awaits the one who forsakes the way, the righteous way, the righteous path, the word of Christ. He who hates reproof will die. 15.12, A scoffer does not love one who reproves him. He will not go to the wise. A scoffer, he may say, I love you, you're my brother. I love you, you're my father. I love you, you're my mentor. You've taught me so many things. We've been best friends for so many years. 
A scoffer will say things like that. But if he rejects the truth being told to him, the Bible says he doesn't truly love. He may say, I love you. I'll always love you. I'll always stick to you. I'll never leave you. I'll move where you move. I'll never leave you. No matter what this conflict is, I will never, I will never leave you. And in one instance, two and a half days later, without any reply, it was completely quiet as the situation was being contemplated, what action to take next. That same one who said, I'll never leave you, I'll never leave the church, left the church. In a two and a half day period, after there was silence, there was no further presentation of truth or anything like that. He then says, I'm leaving you. He will not go to the wise. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. If you just said it in the right way, I would listen. If it was in the correct forum, I would listen. Ad infinitum. They have methods for the receptivity of the words being said. But I submit to you, hundreds if not thousands of times, that is a deflection. It's a lie. If they said... If they say, well, if you just tell me in person, then I would take it seriously. If you just had a personal phone call with me, then I would take it seriously. He will not go to the wise. They won't do it. They don't practice what they preach. They are the biggest hypocrites in the world. When they make it an issue of the forum. They are the biggest hypocrites in the world. They will not go to the wise. They do not love one who reproves him. They don't want to deal with the truth. They don't want to believe the truth and repent of sin. And they will not not ever bear fruit with perseverance. They will be wanderers, They will be aimless. They will go back and forth. They'll be hot and then cold. They will be carried along by winds and every wind of doctrine. This is what will happen. They will be double-minded, unstable in all their ways. So, whenever we hear the word, we should not scoff at it. We have to make sure we understand what it says, and then believe it. And if we believe it, we will repent. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.